Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee served the Lord for more than seven decades, and these life studies represent his contribution to the ever-expanding understanding of the revelation of the Bible. The purpose of these life studies is to present the truths contained in the scriptures and to minister the genuine life supply, to solve the common and hard problems found in the Bible and to open up every book of the Bible through interpretation. We're very happy to bring you selected portions from his speaking today. If you'd like to learn more about the Life Studies, please visit our website at lifestudy.com. Simply lifestudy.com. Now, here's today's program. In spite of the rebellion, iniquity, and corruption of his chosen and beloved people Israel, Christ is still sitting on a high and lofty throne in his glory. In the midst of this corruption and iniquity, God showed his prophet Isaiah this exalted Christ. When everything surrounding us is disappointing and discouraging, we too can see him on his glorious throne. Stay with us today for this majestic view of the Christ in glory. Francis Ball has joined us again today for another journey into the mysterious and remarkable pages of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Francis, it's really nice to have you back with us, and particularly today as we're going to see more of Christ ushered into a negative situation among his people. Well, this really is the solution for all the negative situations, isn't it? Yes, that is true. The situation described in the first four chapters of Isaiah reveal a very negative situation among God's chosen people. Still, this kind of situation does open the way to see more of Christ. Yes, to have Christ ushered into a negative situation, or actually you could say any situation, is the unique solution to every problem. I'm looking forward to today's message to again bring this marvelous Christ into our view. Francis, uh, speaking of marvelous uh, messages, we had one focusing on the ushering in of Christ, as we see in Isaiah 4.2. In that day, the shoot of Jehovah will be beauty and glory, and the fruit of the earth, excellence and splendor, to those of Israel who have escaped. Francis, this point is going to be developed in today's program also in chapter 6. So would you review this marvelous point before we go on to our life study message with Witness Lee? Well, Chris, we surely need to see this rich Christ revealed in Isaiah, and to know him as the shoot of Jehovah and as the fruit of the earth. These terms we've seen depict Christ, the God-man, first in his divinity as the shoot of Jehovah, that is, the one who came out of Jehovah, and then in his humanity as the fruit of the earth. Chris, I'd just like to say I'm so thankful for this ministry brought to us through Brother Lee's speaking in these life studies. I had never heard before in detail that these terms refer to the two natures of Christ, his deity and his humanity. This gives us a clear understanding of Christ being the God-man, both God and man. In the past, mostly what we heard was that God loved the world, gave his only begotten Son, but apart from a view 
of a familiar verses in Isaiah, we never saw him as he's revealed in Isaiah. Something much more. We only have to touch uh, these terms in our broadcast. We don't have time to get into them. So I want to encourage the listeners to write or call in to get the printed life studies and to spend the time and the ability and the energy to study this book in order to see and know this wonderful Christ revealed in it. Francis, I appreciate your encouragement regarding the life study messages. We'll come back at the end of the program and talk about that in a little more detail. I do want to point out, as we have been in some of these initial programs in Isaiah, that in 1990, Francis, when Witness Lee gave this life study, he had advanced into his 80s, and physically he had noticeably weakened. But we have been struck in these recordings as to how strong his spirit had become, even in the midst of a somewhat diminished physical vessel. It was remarkable, wasn't it? Yes, I think we witnessed in this servant of the Lord a real exercise of the spirit. When his body was weak, his spirit even seemed to get stronger. I remember... uh, several of these uh, times together, these conferences where he would start out somewhat physically weak, and it seemed the more he spoke, even the stronger his physical body would become. Uh, It seemed to minister life into his mortal body as he uh, opened up and spoke these messages. You know, one time uh, his wife told him that he needed to rest more. He better not go tonight. He said, my speaking is my rest. Well, we trust that that quality is going to come through in the recorded portions we've got in this life study message. Let's join him right now with this first portion. In spite of the rebellion, iniquities, and corruptions of Israel, his chosen and beloved people, Christ is still sitting on the high and lofty throne in glory. Everything changes is fluctuating on this earth, but Christ remains the same. He was, he is, and he shall be forever. He remains the same. The long robe, Christ's words, signifies Christ's splendor in his virtues. Glory mainly refers to God. Splendor mainly refers to man. What God has and what God is is a kind of glory. What man should be is a kind of splendor. So here I say the splendor in his virtues. These virtues are mainly expressed in his humanity. So the long robe that Christ wears is a kind of a brightness, splendor of his virtues expressed in his humanity. In the four Gospels, we have seen too much of his virtues in his humanity. Isaiah saw a vision. That is Christ in glory, expressed in the heavens, not on earth full of splendor in his virtues. When you go one day to the place where Christ is today, do you expect to see him in his divinity or in his humanity? Hallelujah. We'll see Christ more in his humanity. 
full of virtues. And all these virtues are bright. All these virtues are shining. And those shinings become his splendors. That is his beauty. His glory is in his divinity. His beauty is in his humanity. Francis, we have two words to focus on here, glory and splendor. These words were both spoken in Isaiah 4, verse 2, which we talked about in our introduction and uh, were alluded to in chapter 6, verse 1. Again, in this verse, we see Christ in his humanity and in his divinity. Why does Witness Lee make the point that ultimately we will be more captivated by seeing Christ in his humanity than in his divinity? To think that we see Christ in his humanity is more captivating than seeing him in his glory. Most Christians are really looking forward to seeing the glory of God. But we have to realize that when we see Christ in his glory, we will see him mainly in his humanity, which is full of virtues which are bright and shining. This shining is his splendor. It's the glory of his divinity shining through his humanity. To see the glory of God would be just overwhelming. But to see that glory expressed in his humanity is really captivating. Well, you said to see God in his glory is overwhelming. Actually, in this upcoming portion, Isaiah gets a glimpse of God in a way that is somewhat overwhelming. Let's go to Witness Lee. Isaiah saw Christ's glory. If you were there, what would you respond? I would guess, you would respond, Hallelujah! <laughs> and you sisters would say, Praise the Lord. But Isaiah said, Oh, it's me. Why? Because I am finished. I'm finished. For I am a man of unclean leaves. We have to pay more attention to our lips every day. We talk too much. Gossiping, murmuring, reasoning. Besides the three things, what do you talk about? This was Isaiah. He says, Whoa to me. I'm finished. For I am a man of unclean leaves. And in the midst of a people of unclean leaves, I dwell. When you really see a vision of the Lord, that vision right away enlightens you, exposes you, brings you into light. Even when Peter, seeing Christ, ran away, he said, Lord, stay away from me. I am a sinner. This is why every morning we need a revival. The morning revival is just a time for you to see the Lord again. How much you realize what you are depends upon how much you see the Lord. The more you see the Lord, the more you realize what you are. And then you realize what you are is not that much good. What you are is altogether ugly. No splendor there. No virtue there. Then something happened. Purging of Isaiah by one of the seraphim, signifying the holiness of God, with an ember 
from the altar, that is, the uh, brass altar, where the offerings were given to God. Altar signifying the effectiveness of Christ's redemption, accomplished on his cross. You may ask me, before this time, was not Isaiah washed by God? It was. But you have to know you're still unclean. We have to know ourselves to this extent. Whether you are clean or you're not clean, it mostly depends upon the feeling of your conscience. And the feeling of your conscience is depending upon the seeing of the Lord. How much you would see the Lord. This decides how much you would be cleansed. I see the Lord this much, then I got exposed to this extent, then I got purged also to this extent. Now, according to my enlightened conscience, I am clean. But according to the fact, I'm still not clean. As long as I remain in the old creation, I can never be clean. I am being cleansed just according to the feeling of my conscience, that I could have a conscience void of funds for me to contact God. Francis, Isaiah said, and I think it's safe to say at one time or another we have said, Woe is me, for I am finished. For I am a man of unclean lips, yet I have seen the King, Jehovah of hosts, with my eyes. I think we were both touched very much by this point, Francis. And whenever we see Christ, we cannot but be aware of our own condition and our own uncleanness. The portrayal in Isaiah from his account very much matches our own experience, doesn't it? I would say it really does match our experience. If we have seen the glory, we certainly have seen something of ourself. Our own self-confidence and our own evaluation of how good we are is really shattered when we see Christ in his glory and in his splendor. According to my realization and observation, so many dear Christians have only seen Christ dying for their sins. And they're not so clear about what sin is and even what their sins are because they only heard and believed the fact that Christ died for sinners. It's only when we see Christ in his glory and in his splendor that we would respond like Isaiah did and say, Woe is me, for I am finished. Surely Isaiah was already cleansed when he wrote this chapter, but he realized that he was a man with unclean lips. When we see the king, we realize that our speech is still a problem, just like Isaiah did, and our lips are unclean and we dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Chris, this is a very convicting matter about the way we talk. Once Isaiah saw and confessed his lips were unclean by seeing Christ in such a way, then the Lord took action through one of the seraphim to touch his lips with, a, as it says, a live coal from off the altar. And then the angel told him, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then Isaiah could say, when the Lord said, who will 
we sinned and who will go for us? He said, here am I, send me. Oh, brothers and sisters, if our lips are cleansed so we can be sent to tell people, then we are really experiencing something like what Isaiah experienced. Francis, in our final section today, we're going to hear a very prophetic word given to Isaiah regarding the nation of Israel, a prophecy with a lot of implication and relevance for us today. Here again is Witness Lee. Now we come to Christ's warning commission to Isaiah. After the purging, Christ gave a commission to Isaiah. He's calling, whom shall I send who will go for us? It is not just Christ here but Christ as the embodiment of the term God. So he could say, I, he could also say, us. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? This is trying God. Isaiah's answer, here am I, send me. Very good. Okay, the Lord charge, go and say to these people, here indeed, but do not perceive, and see indeed, but do not understand. Make the heart of these people numb, dull their ears, and seal their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and their heart perceives and returns, and they are healed. This is kind of warning, reminding the people of Israel, where they are. They are in this situation. Okay, now Isaiah's question. For how long, Lord? It's hard to answer. This situation will remain how long? It has been remaining for 27 centuries. Since Isaiah's time, the children of Israel were like this until today. I was in Israel twice. The first time in 58, the second time in 77, I noticed oh, they are worse than the unbelievers. They're very smart, yet concerning God, their eyes are sealed. They just don't understand anything concerning God. Let us read. The Lord answered, until cities lay devastated, without inhabitants, and houses are without people, and the land is devastated and a waste. And Jehovah sent men far away from it. Firstly, the Assyrians. Secondly, the Babylonians. Thirdly, the Persians and Medians. Then the Greeks, Macedonians. Then the Romans, all the centuries. And Jehovah sent men from far away from it, and desolate places abound in the midst of the land. Everywhere is desolation. But there will still be a tenth part in it. One tenth will still remain. And it, in turn, is to be burned like a turbine or an oak, whose stem remains after its failing, its stem will be a holy seed. That still has not happened yet. This prophecy 
was uh, given by Isaiah 750-something B.C., 150 years before the Babylonians came to uh, devastate the entire Jerusalem and captured their important people. From that day, Israel never got free. This warning was quoted by the Lord Jesus and John in Matthew 13, 14 to 15 and John 12, 40, while the Lord was on the earth and was fulfilled in AD 70 by the Roman army under Titus. You better read Matthew 23 and 24, which tell us Jerusalem will be destroyed, leaving no stone upon another. It will be just destroyed. This warning was also quoted by the Apostle Paul in Acts 28, 25 to 27, to remind the unbelieving Jews under his preaching of the gospel. And his reminding was also fulfilled in AD 70 by Titus and his army. Up to today, how long? Surely more than 26 centuries. Francis, this last word by our brother really intrigues me. How does the fulfillment of this prophecy concerning the ruin of Israel point us to not only where Israel is, but to where we are as well? Well, we have to see that Isaiah's prophecy to the people was given to the people of Israel about 100 years before the Babylonians came in and destroyed their land. And if you look into this portion, you see that this is a real warning that God is giving to Isaiah to pass on to the people. Even though Isaiah was commissioned by the Lord to go to this people and speak the word of the Lord, he was also told that even though they hear it and see it, they will neither perceive it or understand it. Nevertheless, he was to speak these things to them and even to uh, speak in such a way to make their heart numb and to make their ears dull and their eyes seal. I believe that the Lord wanted to use Isaiah to show the people that their case was hopeless and that even if they tried, they could not be healed and recovered by anything that they themselves could do. He likens the whole nation in the end of this portion to an oak tree, which is completely rotten, the leaves have fallen, the tree itself has fallen, only the stump is left. That tree is like Israel, and that stump is Christ. Everything will be devastated, according to this prophecy. And he was to continue his speaking until the cities were devastated and destroyed, meaning that there was no healing, there was no cure. Everything was devastated, but only the stump was left, and that stump is Christ himself. Then you have the Lord Jesus referring back to this passage in Matthew 13. There he says when he spoke to the disciples that he spoke in parables to the others to hide the truths from their natural understanding. Then he said to the disciples, But blessed are your eyes because they see 
and your ears because they hear. And it seems strange, but Isaiah's prophecy was really to devastate Israel and make them realize that they could never recover themselves. They could never be brought back by anything they could do. The whole thing would rest on the coming of Christ. You could apply the same thing to us today. If people would hear but not understand, if they would see but not perceive, and much of preaching today goes out, but how much is understood, even by the speakers themselves many times, and how much is going out that would warn people of such a situation, that without Christ, without the ushering in of Christ, both in His first coming and now also in His second coming, without the ushering in of Christ, there is no hope. There is no Savior but Christ. So I hope uh, today that this message would speak to us, that in order for us to be forgiven, for us to be cleansed, for us to be right with God, we need to open our hearts, we need to receive the Word, and we need to perceive the Word, and we need to see the Christ in glory. Thank the Lord for Isaiah's view, but thank the Lord for His faithfulness in speaking to a people in their devastated situation to realize they cannot trust in themselves. Francis, this book seems to toggle back and forth between these portions of judgment and chastisement, discipline on God's people for having turned away and rejected him and becoming hard in heart, and then the incredible unveiling of Christ around each corner. We really are seeing Christ, but we're also seeing ourselves, and this kind of word is very helpful for us. We can see ourselves in the pages of the Old Testament, but may it have the same effect that the Lord's word did to to the nation of Israel, gaining them and turning them back to himself. I think this is really the relevant portion in Isaiah for us today. Yes, we do see God in his glory, like Isaiah said, and we say, woe is me. But we also see Christ in his saving power and his coming again, being ushered in for our enjoyment. Francis, I appreciate your helping today and would invite you to come back very soon for another life study message from Isaiah. Please do that. Thank you. I would like to do that. And Francis, I'll harken back to the encouragement that you gave our listeners at the beginning of the program and emphasize it again. These life study messages are invaluable. Uh, a book like Isaiah it can be a very perplexing and uh, even intimidating chore if we have no helps. Uh, but the life study messages really are the roadmap to gain a real appreciation and understanding of God's unveiling of even his New Testament economy. That's the life study volume, volume number one of the life study of Isaiah, which includes messages one through 16. We will be back for more life study programs from the book of Isaiah and Witness Lee. Today for Francis Ball, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. 
That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.